Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. All right, well, if you don't know me, my name is AJ. Um, I get to lead with my wife, Breezy, our Awakened students, which is for our middle and high school age. Yeah, it's very, very fun. We're here every Wednesday. And I'm really excited to be able to share this message with you guys today because I know that God has brought you here with a purpose. I know that. I've been praying about it um, for weeks as I was preparing this, and, and I know that God has, has you here with, with purpose, whether you're here for the first time or this is just a rhythm, something that you've just been doing. I want you just to lean in, get your heart prepared, whether you're in this venue, south venue, or online, wherever you are, just get ready to lean in because God has something for you today. I'm so confident of that. And we've been seeing that on the campus today as we've been preparing that the enemy doesn't want what's about to go out to go out and to be fruitful. So lean in. Don't allow that to be the case. Don't let the enemy win in this. Um, Today, where we're going to be speaking from, um, we're in this series called Grace and Peace. And in this series, uh, we're going through the New Testament letters of Paul. That's kind of what we're going through. So today, specifically, um, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. That's what I'm going to be sharing from. The verses are also going to be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about that. But um, before we get into it, I kind of wanted to share a little bit of a story that's going to help us grasp the concept of what Paul is trying to conquer Um, in this letter that he writes to the Corinthians. So in my own life, uh, I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. And it's obviously hot in Arizona. And in one summer, uh, in particular, me and my friends were swimming in our pool in the backyard. And we were thinking, what would spice up this day? What would make this day real fun that's a little bit different than usual? And we think, let's make a helmet that will allow us to breathe underwater in the pool. So what we have in mind is we're going to have a picture up on the screen. This is what we're envisioning, one of those old-time naval diver helmets. That's what we want to build. We want to create this. So we immediately lean into the Internet for help for this. So we start looking up little tutorial videos and how-tos on how these helmets worked and why they worked the way they did and what they were made of and all this stuff. Obviously, we didn't have all the same stuff, so we just made the best of it. We went, got to the workbench. We start working things out. And this is the next image. This is what we came out with. This is me. That's me wearing the helmet that we made, a five-gallon bucket with holes drilled in it um, that we glued lenses inside of and put a uh, gas pipe out of it to try to breathe. And to be honest, it kind of worked for a little bit. And then it was really scary. And I thought I was going to drown. There's water filling up like a fishbowl inside. Um, so, but I didn't die, which is good, but I learned a valuable lesson there, um, that it's very hard to learn how to do something that you're going to put into action in the physical world just by watching videos. And you know, this rule or this kind of law of life, because we've all experienced it in some capacity or another, whether that be you're looking up a how to video or a podcast on home improvement, and then you get electrocuted because you didn't do it correctly. Or maybe you're looking to fix a piece of technology or get better at a sport. Um, All of these things are things that we'll look to the internet and podcast to get this insight and information on and expect it to produce growth in our lives. And a lot of times it falls short, just like that helmet did. And that's why I wanted to title the message today, More Than Podcasts and Tutorials. And the reason I titled it that is because that's a lot, Christianity is a lot like those concepts. Christianity is something 
that we live out. Faith is something that's supposed to be active and physical, something that we're doing. So it requires more than just podcasts and tutorials in order to be successful. And it's a lot on that topic that Paul is conquering when he writes this letter to the the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. And I want us to just understand that what we're going to be reading today in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, is just every bit as relevant today as it was when Paul wrote it. And we're going to see that. I want to explain that out even and make it more clear to us because honestly, some of the words that Paul has in here, what we're going to read are kind of harsh and not so easy to take. And it's going to be a lot easier for us to receive it if we recognize that we're in the same boat, honestly. Um, So to kind of jump us in, um, I want us to see who was the, the Corinthians that this letter is written to. Um, the, the Corinthians and the church at Corinth was a group of people in this city, um, kind of near Greece. That Corinth was on this isthmus, and Corinth was a very interesting place. It was a Roman colony, but it's different than most Roman colonies because a typical Roman colony would be started and kind of inhabited first by ex-Roman soldiers. But that wasn't the case with Corinth. It was originally and first started with uh, freed slaves. That's very different than most, primarily from places like Syria, Egypt. There's a large uh, Jewish population there, and then eventually a lot of Greeks and Romans. So I just want you to imagine that being an interesting thing, because that's similar to the United States. We're a melting pot for culture, and that's what Corinth was. There's all of these religions, all of these mindsets on, hey, this is how we live life. This is what we do. This is what we do to celebrate things. This is how we get close to God or our God, whatever they served. And I think that's really interesting. That's a good parallel to our country. We have faiths of all kind here and people trying to say like, hey, this is the best way to live. This is the best ideology to have. Hey, these are our customs and things that we do. And we have access to seeing it all around us, just like the Corinthians did. Um, Another way that Corinth was similar to us is that it was a huge hub of commerce, um, just like the United States. It was a major port city. A lot of trade went through there. And because of that, they had a, a lot of money, a lot of access to making money. Um, so they, they, because of that access to money and because of the ability to have money and all of the knowledge they had around them, they thought that they could buy that knowledge. And then through having this knowledge, that would ultimately equal growth. And Paul has something to say about that, that that is not the case. That's not how this works, especially with Christianity. And the issues that the church was having there, they're similar to us. They were dealing with all kinds of division in their churches. They weren't united and connected at all. They were having all kinds of dysfunctions within their own groups of people, um, arguments. And then there was all kinds of just sin rampant happening inside of the church. And that's what Paul's conquering. And he's trying to get them to see, hey, you guys are, are missing a lot of pieces to your faith that you need to have addressed. You need to address these things if you want to actually grow and be fruitful in your faith, which is all of our goal if we're a Christian. We want to grow spiritually mature. So where we're jumping in, we're going to start off 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and 15 to start us off. And then we're going to stop there and we're going to get our first takeaway as we dig through this. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And admonish just means to caution or warn. So he's saying, I just want to warn you or caution you as my beloved children. And then he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, this is where I want us to pause. This is where our first takeaway is going to come from. First takeaway is that we need pastors and parents in order to grow in faith. And I just want to preface by saying I don't mean parents just like in a physical sense, like you need to be born. I mean like you need spiritual parents. That's what Paul is trying to get at here when he, when he brings this up. So we need pastors and parents to grow in faith. Now there's some interesting things that Paul is digging us through. And he says to, the, to these people, he says, hey, you have countless guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. And I want to start with that word guides, because you can also translate it translate it to tutors. But in Greek times, back when Paul's writing this, um, that was a, a word for something else. The, the word is originally paidagogos, and it's a title for a trustworthy slave who's, who's trusted to oversee a child who's not grown up to adulthood yet, and to train them up and give them guidance in moral truth and just general life advice to watch over them. It's kind of a distant thing, though. And I think that's really interesting because what Paul says is you have countless guides in Christ, kind of like what a pastor is in our lives. We have people who give us moral advice. That's what a pastor does, moral advice on, hey, this is how you ought to live your life according to God's word. Hey, this is, this is what God says about what's right and wrong. That's moral advice. And then also they give you general life advice, um, but it's all f- kind of from a distance. And that's why Paul is making this, this point. Um, He's saying, you have countless guides in Christ, just like us. We have countless guides, infinite access to podcasts with any pastor you can think of, infinite access to radio broadcasts that are great input from different pastors around our country and the world, infinite access to authors, but we don't have many fathers, many spiritual parents in our faith. And you need that in order to grow. Um, Paul is trying to get them to see something very important in their lives. And I don't want to miss it, so I'm not going to like kind of stumble around it. I just want to put it straight out there. A lot of you need to be paying very close attention to what I'm saying right now because you're missing this in your life. I just want to put that out. I don't want it to go missed because this is so crucial to your growth in faith. Um, so what Paul is trying to say when he says, hey, you have countless guides but not many fathers, He's trying to get them to see, he's trying to get them to see that they need someone who's able to give them correction and direction in a personal way, not distant, a personal way. And he digs through this because he wants them to see that that's not something that's commonplace. We don't get that all the time from just a pastor from the stage, not because our pastors don't care for us. They absolutely do, but there's just not the capacity for them to pour into us in that way all the time. So when he makes this claim, he's saying, hey, I want you to have spiritual parents. I want you to have people that you look up to, not just supervisors, but spiritual parents. And think of your own parents, if you you have that in your life. What do they have that other people don't? They have authority. They have insight over you that other people don't. They know the way that you tick. They know the the way that you think, the way that you're going to respond to situations. They know the nitty-gritty of your life, what you've dealt with in the past. And they're able to give correction in your life when they see it coming up when it's needed. And honestly, another aspect is they can just give general direction. They know where you're headed in life, your aspirations, your goals. They're able to speak into your life in that way. And another thing that's important about this is that when we don't have somebody who's a spiritual parent, 
a lot of times we only are surrounded by yes people, people who just say yes to everything that we say because it sounds about right, but it's actually not correct. And those spiritual parents are people who are going to be giving us truth. They're going to be speaking truth into our life and allowing us to hear that. And I just want to be totally clear and honest. I think a lot of us in the church, me for a long time in my life especially, we're living life as a Christian runaway or almost like a orphan by choice spiritually. And that's not good. And the reason why we do that, whether it's intentional, maybe we're doing it on purpose um, because we don't want to be transparent with our spiritual parents or people who would know more about us. We want to keep it hidden or maybe we, we just didn't know any better. But ultimately what it comes down to is we've often done this because we want to decide what's best for ourselves. What's going to get applied to our life? What's not? What's important to us? What can kind of drift? That's what we want to make that decision. I'm here to tell you today, you cannot go on like that anymore. Like you need to have a spiritual parent or or spiritual parents in your life. And just to give you some guidance right now, some easy places that you can find that, awaken groups. You're going to be able to find people who are going to be spiritual parents to you. And I just also want to point out, a spiritual parent is not necessarily going to be older than you. It's going to be someone who is a senior who's walked the path with Jesus a little bit longer. That's somebody who's going to be a spiritual parent. He's going to have some more advice to be able to, to give you. We're going to touch more on that in just a minute here. But, but ultimately, I just want us to grasp that we can't live life like that. We need to seek people. We can find them in awakened groups but we can also find them just serving on a team on a Sunday. That's an easy place. If you're not serving on a team, you're not in an awakened group, awakened groups are still open. And I encourage you, you need to get in one. And you need to find somebody who's going to be able to be a spiritual parent in your life. Um, You should join a team and and start growing the relationships. And it's not going to happen overnight. You're not just going to immediately have it. You're going to have to build it. You're going to have to grow it. But ultimately, it can happen and it will happen and you're going to see huge growth in your life because that spiritual growth requires us to have spiritual parents, but it also requires us to be able to follow their examples if we're going to have good spiritual growth in our life. And that's what Paul's about to go into right here as we continue on uh, verses 16 and 17. Where is it? He says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Let's just pause again right here. This is our second takeaway, a really important one. I'm kind of hitting on this same topic. We need to be imitators, not impressionists. We need to be imitators, not impressionists. Um, Paul says, you need to be imitators or followers of me. That's what he's trying to get by there. And then he says, he sent them Timothy. It's uh, somebody who he had poured into a lot, who walked alongside Paul, saw the way that Paul did ministry. He said he sent them Timothy so that he could remind them of Paul's ways in Christ. And he wants them to see that. And I think it's really interesting because that word ways in Greek um, just can be translated to the traveled paths like literal traveled paths, or also courses of conduct. So what Paul is really trying to drive this home, this is very active language, imitators, people who are like physically imitating, doing what Paul does, people who are traveling his paths, who are following those same courses of conduct. 
They're not just impressionists. They're not just saying and spouting off the same stuff that he said, but they're actually imitating it and doing it. That's what Paul is trying to get across in this. And I think it's important for us just to know that those active word choices mean that it's not enough just to be able to parrot info from a great message you heard or from something that you read in a book that's really good. It's good to recall it. It's good to remember it. But just because you can parrot that information, that doesn't mean that it's actually doing anything. That's so important for us to realize because we're in a culture now where our information to action ratio is very off. We receive a lot of information and we don't put out very much action on it because we're just so inundated with this information. So I think it's important if we're going to look at um, this, this concept that Paul's getting at, hey, be imitators of me, um, be imitators of the ways that I've shown you. What, did that, what does that mean? What is Paul even talking about right there? And I think for us to understand, and um, we're not going to read it now, but we need to look at what did Paul do while he was in Corinth? He's not there now. He's writing a letter there. So what did Paul do? What was his um, actions? What was the things that he lived out while he was there? Luckily, we don't have to guess. It's in Acts 18. That's where it's all written. Everything that Paul did while he was in Corinth, it's all, it's all there. You can read all about it. And I'll just sum it up really quick so we can get an understanding of what he's trying to tell them. Hey, be imitators of me. Be reminded of those things I showed you while I was there. He was there for a year and a half. That's how much time he spent in Corinth. And while he was there, Paul worked a day job faithfully every day. For a very long time, he worked a job. He was a tent maker. He made money so he could provide for his needs and so he could pour out into the people around him who didn't have things. He, was, he, he worked that for as long as he had to. Um, another thing that he did is he started speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus and who Jesus was to the synagogues until they kicked him out. They didn't want to hear it anymore. And then he faithfully spoke the gospel to his community. And he grew up all of these house churches, all these little mini churches all around Corinth. And he was pouring into these people and trying to grow them up in the knowledge of who Jesus was and show them the example of what it looks like to live for him. So he's growing up these churches. And Paul was kind of timid and nervous. He, was, he didn't know exactly how he was going to do that. Um, if, it, if he was going to be successful, he didn't know what the repercussions might be, we read. And then God gives him a vision. God is very interactive with him in this ministry that he has. Paul encourages him, or God and Paul encourages Paul and tries to get him to move forward um, excited and more bold. And Paul is encouraged by the vision he receives and he sets out and from then on he's really bold about sharing the gospel and growing and there's huge growth happening. And then eventually he's persecuted, he perseveres, he's willing to stand up to it and then eventually he has to leave in case, so he won't get killed or, or anything like that. So that's Paul's example. And I think that that's important for us to see because he sets this crystal clear example of what ministry is. And what we see is ministry is not necessarily just standing on a stage and sharing a message, showing up on a Sunday, serving on a team. Ultimately, what ministry boils down to is a life that is actively following Jesus. That's it. That's what ministry is. If you are living a life that is actively following Jesus, pursuing Jesus, you're going to be doing ministry. What did Jesus do? He did ministry as he walked through his life. If you're following Jesus, doing what Jesus did, then you're going to be doing it. And it can look like Paul. Can, it can be happening as you go to your work in general. It can be happening as you just reach out to your community and love people well. That is ministry. That's part of following Jesus. 
I think that's so important for us to grasp. Another reason why Paul wants them to imitate him and the success that he had is because he was successful and he was making that impact. But because ultimately for us, a lot of times, especially I remember this being the case in my life, it was so hard for me to figure out how to navigate the paths of following Jesus when I didn't have anybody to look to that was walking it ahead of me. Think of somebody who's like climbing uh, like Mount Everest. You can do all the training, all the study, get prepared for it. But what do you do? You would hire somebody who's walked the path before who can guide you. You don't do it because you think you can't do it or because, um, you, because you're, you're scared or something. You do it because you want to navigate the path more effectively and more safely. And that's ultimately what Paul's trying to get across. He's saying, hey, I've got a proven ways in Jesus that I want you guys to be imitators of. Imitate that. Follow that. Navigate those paths that I traveled well. And you're going to be able to do it on a more effective, easier way. It's not going to take you as long. It's ultimately our goal to be imitators of Christ, right? So when we talk about imitating Paul, I think some of us, even me when I first read it, had this like little moment of like, whoa, Paul, that seems like blasphemy. Why are you telling me to follow your example? But Paul's goal himself is to be imitating Christ. So if he's further ahead on the path, there's nothing bad about that. If he's living out that call, if you can see that fruit happening in his life, ultimately he's saying, hey, you can be an imitator of me. Ultimately, we're imitating Christ. And as we're imitating those who have gone before us, who are walking those paths ahead of us, we're all imitating the same guy. Christ. And as we imitate Christ and his servants, that's going to result in our growth. That's going to result in us becoming more and more spiritually mature. And then beyond that, as we grow in our faith, that's going to ultimately result in our accessing the kingdom of God in a greater capacity. And that's really the crux of all of this. That's the key component of everything that Paul's trying to get to. He's saying, Um, What we're about to find out, that they need to access the kingdom of God the way it's meant to be accessed. So let's go ahead and read verses 18 through 21, and that's where we're going to find our final point. Take away. It says, Some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? All right, our our last takeaway that I want us to grasp, and this is so incredibly important. I don't want it to fall on deaf ears. I want it to be heard well because this is so crucial. The kingdom of God is a movement of power. And a lot of us have missed that. And over time, we've gotten away from this. So when Paul writes this, he's writing to some people that he calls arrogant. He says that they're, they're being arrogant. There's some very prideful people who thought very highly of themselves and their opinions. And ultimately, Paul's trying to cut through that. That's why he's talking kind of harshly, why he speaks of a rod. And it seems like he's ready to come there and beat somebody. It's because he's trying to get through to these people who have honestly, ultimately, because of their so-called insight, have blocked themselves from Paul's set example. He wants to cut through that and show them something different. And I want us to grasp, because this is ultimately what Paul's saying, he's saying that spouting off insights 
is not necessarily a sign of spiritual maturity. I kind of already hit on that a little bit earlier, but I just want to hit on that again. Paul is driving that home so hard to these people who had plenty of access to knowledge. We have plenty of access to knowledge, just like Paul did and, and the people of his time, and they were missing it. And I don't want us to miss it. Just because we know a lot about the Bible, we can recite some verses, we know some of the Greek or something, or we have interesting things to say, that doesn't mean that we have true spiritual maturity the way that God intends it. Paul even goes farther. And in verse 19, he says that when he shows up, he's not going to find out about their talk. He's going to find out about their power. I think a good way to translate that, that kind of hits me a little bit more, is that he's not looking for their insight, he's looking for their impact. That's the, that's the way that I think it's easier to think about this. Paul makes that bold statement that the, the kingdom of God is of power. It's not about talk, it's not this empty things that come out of your mouth, it's of power. And that word power, when Paul uses it, um, can translate to several different things, but it means miracles. That's part of God's kingdom. Still to this day, miracles happen. They do, and they can. That's where the power of God is. It's in that. Another place where the power of God is, where this word alludes to, is the spiritual gifts that God's given to everybody who has become a Christian. Anybody who's been filled with his Holy Spirit has been given spiritual gifts. And when you exercise those gifts in the way that God intends them to be exercised, there is incredible power in them. Um, and then finally, it's just the power of God. And it, what it's trying to get at is like the way that we view God as like awe, in awe and in reverence and like wonder at the greatness of him when we really realize who we are in light of him. That's what Paul is saying. The kingdom of God exists in that power, not just the talk. And I want to give us, just to dig into this a little bit more, um, because the Bible regularly speaks of this power. It gives multiple examples. We're not going to turn there. But I'll just reference them off for you guys real quick of some of these examples so we can get a good grasp of what, what Paul's talking about, what the kingdom of God existing in power actually looks like. And one of those, the first way I want to mention, Acts 1.8. So the, the church begins, the very start of the church. That's where we read that. And when the church starts, um, the disciples are waiting. Um, God, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to them. And it says very specifically that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will receive power. And then the Holy Spirit does come to them. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that they're untrained, uneducated dudes. And then they go out and they speak languages through the power of the Holy Spirit that they don't even know. They had never learned. It's not something they studied but they speak these languages through the power of the Holy Spirit and thousands of people come to know Jesus. That's the power of God. Another area where we see it, Luke 1.35. Luke 1.35, that's where we read of um, Jesus' mother, Mary's conception. It's a miraculous conception and it says that it's done by the power of the Most High. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. Um, another example, Luke 4.14 uh, it talks about how Jesus ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this one because that means that wherever we look at Jesus, all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, as we read what Jesus did, everything that he does is being done in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have access to and I have access to. 
that's so cool. That's amazing. That's, that's the power that we're talking about. And then my last example I want to share is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, or verse 4, sorry. It says that, Paul writes this, he says that his ministry and his preaching are done by the power of God. So think of Paul, the person who really took the gospel and grew the church on a global scale, the impact that he had, the preaching and the impact that he had in the cities that he went to in a very volatile, not very accepting time for what he was sharing. That was done by the power of God, by the power of the kingdom of God. That's what we're seeking. That's where spiritual maturity grows from, from that power of God in your life, the power of the kingdom of God in your life. And that's why I want us to stop asking the question and asking ourselves, what do I know? So I, don't, I don't want us to walk out of here today, out the doors and into the world and say, what did I learn? I honestly don't care if you learn anything from this. What I want you to ask yourself and learn and, and be coaxed into is asking yourself from here on out, ask yourself the question, what is God doing in my life and through my life? And we've all heard this before, but Paul is kind of upset about it. He's like, hey, I don't want to know about your talk. I don't care about your insights. I want to know about your impact. I want to know what you're doing. What's happening? What is God doing in your life? That means I want us to ask ourselves. This is what I have to ask myself all the time. What is God changing in me? What is he trying to get rid of that I need to not have? What has he changed in me? What is God adding to my life that I didn't have before? Maybe that's patience or compassion that I didn't have ever before. What is God adding in me? That's his power alone that's doing that. And then what is the impact that God is having through me? What's he doing in my life through me that I'm having to walk alongside him in? That's what God is after. That's where the power of the kingdom of God is. And I want us to understand this and be asking that question. I'm not trying to be aggressive or seem mean. I, I hope I'm not coming across that way. Paul even starts off in the beginning by saying, I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm writing it just to caution you. And that's why I'm saying this. Because I'm sick and tired, honestly, of having a, a faith and being a part of something that the world looks at as a joke. And they look at it as a joke because we talk about what God can do. We talk about what God has done in the past. We talk about all this stuff. Where is it? Why is it not happening right now? Why, do I not, why can't I not see it? That's frustrating. And the reason is because we can talk really well, but when it comes to exercising and living it out, we're not doing such a great job at it. And that's why we need to ask that question. Now, Paul ends that kind of harshly, like I said, where he says, hey, do you want me to come to you? I'm going to come there, but do you want me to come, come to you with a rod, like with, for discipline, or with a spirit of gentleness? And honestly, lucky for us, Paul's not coming through those doors anytime soon. <laughs> he's, not, he's not around. But in reality, something worse could be happening. Jesus is coming back. We don't have to answer to Paul. We have to answer to Jesus. And Jesus is going to return. And I want us to be asking ourselves, when Jesus gets back, if he were to walk through that door right now, is he going to be disappointed with my life in him? Is he going to be proud of it? Is he going to be saying to me, 
wow, you did such a good job with the time you had. You, you lived the, your faith with me um, and, and through me and the best of your ability, and you had an impact, and I had an impact on you. I changed you, who you were. I'm so proud of you. You're a good and faithful servant. Come with me. Let's, let's be, be with me. Or is he going to be saying, if we're Christians, we're not going to have fear of him casting us out. We're still going to be in heaven. But I don't want to hear Jesus say to me, man, you missed out on so much. Like, I'm kind of disappointed. I, I had so much potential for you, but you just missed it. I don't want that, and I don't want that for you. And, and I want us to grasp this because ultimately, we want to be spiritually mature. We want to grow in that maturity. And that maturity requires a lot more than us just showing up here on a Sunday, sitting, us reading books. It, it, those are good things. They have value. But it requires a lot more than that. Just like to grow in life, it requires a whole lot more than just podcasts and tutorials to be successful and effective. And that's where I want to end this message today. I want to just send us out in kind of a, a looking within ourselves and asking ourselves, hey, where am I at? It's my spiritual maturity. Do I have these spiritual parents, people who are pouring into me, or have I been kind of an orphan by my own choice? Have I been an imitator or just an impressionist? Do I have access? Am I living out a kingdom of God in power or is it just talk? Where am I in that? And then start to make the choices to move in closer and access that power because it's there and you can have a huge impact. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.